Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and on today's episode, we are diving into the Columbus Crew's 2-1 win over LAFC in MLS Cup. If my audio recording sounds a little bit different, it's because I'm recording at a random booth somewhere in Lower.com field. Joining me, also from a different location, is a man who I believe is on the other side of the country somewhere. It's the one. It's the only. It's David Goss. David, where are you right now, and what on earth did you make of the Crew's win? I'm in Las Vegas because that's where you live, and I figured someone had to be here since you were leaving, right? Yeah, I I don't live in Las Vegas, but I do live in the general southwestern desert. So I'm from maybe, New York. Are it's we, all are the we counting same that as me. the same? Yeah, I think it all counts as the same. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get from an East Coast. It, it, that's my intention. Yeah, that's East my Coast intention. classic East Coast bias. The crew win. They're not in the East Coast. They're they're more Midwest. But you know, whatever. Classic East Coast bias from David Goss. A couple of housekeeping things right off the top before we get into this match. That's going to be the, the whole crux of today's show is digging into how Columbus topped LAFC to win their third ever MLS Cup. A couple of housekeeping things. The first is there's no weekend review coming up on Monday here in the feed. This is functioning as our weekend effort. Taylor and his family are welcoming in a new child. They now have a brand new baby girl. Yay. She's beautiful. And, and we wish the Rockwell family nothing but the best. And Graham is also um, gallivanting across Europe at the moment. So we're a little light-handed, short-handed, lightly staffed, whatever you want to say. So no weekend review coming on Monday. That's the first housekeeping thing. The other thing, Goss, and I know you can relate to this. I wanted to say thank you to Kyle. Maybe you can't relate to Kyle, but the, the tie-in's coming. Don't worry. Thank you to Kyle, who stopped me in the crew concourse earlier today. And he is a fan of the show and was super nice. Gave me a candy cane. An excellent, excellent conversation. We got to talk about finishing and the Columbus crew and what was going to happen in the game. And I just wanted to specifically thank him because I know he'll be listening to this. It was a lovely conversation. And a thank you to all the listeners for supporting us and making this show possible. That is always for me, David, like genuinely the best part, even including the soccer stuff, the best part of going and doing trips to games is getting to connect at least a little bit with the people that actually listen and realize we're not just talking into a void. It's awesome. Absolutely. I agree with you. To put a face to it is awesome. Social media interaction as well, especially to my LAFC fans who obviously love me once again here today. And we'll get into it. It's been a long week or so online with LAFC fans, but I absolutely agree with you. It's why it's fun what we do. It's why we love it. And, you know, everyone's talking about it now. MLS Cup ends. It's been a long few months of us watching a lot of MLS, thinking about it, talking about it on top of all the other soccer we love. Um, but, you know, interacting with the fans who it matters to and who enjoy it, I think that's that's sort of the key. So you gave me a little bit of the concourse, Kyle, shout out to Kyle, but give me the rest of it. I'm not in Columbus. This is the first MLS Cup I've missed in 10 years. What's been the vibe? What's the experience? What was tonight like? Yeah, the, the vibe has been absolutely fantastic. I had nothing, I, I had no expectations for the city of Columbus outside of what you had sort of set for me. I think when we recorded Monday, so that was back at the at the very beginning of this week. And I, I have truly enjoyed the city, first of all. It feels 
small enough, but it also feels big enough that there's stuff happening, at least when there's a, a championship game happening on a Saturday. The atmosphere in the city building up to this game today has been really, really strong. Not just today, right? There have been crew fans, and I, I walked up and down, I believe it's called the Short North. I'm sure Columbus fans are going to make fun of me because they, they know what it's called. But I walked up and down a, a part of the part of the city last night, and there's like crew stuff in the windows, and you go inside, and, and you can really get a feel for Columbus you know, embracing the crew and continuing to do that over the years. So that's been a huge plus. And even today during the game and, and leading up to the game, it was kind of drizzling all day today. And it looked like to me, I was I was covered during the, during the match, but it looked to me like there was a decent amount of rain coming down on the field itself, especially during the second half. But even with the rain and some of the weather stuff not being totally ideal, fans were up for this. Before the game, they were marching, they were loud. Right as the gates opened, they were so loud. Music, all that stuff that you, you sort of expect from a really loyal Columbus Crew fan base. And then during the game, I mean, the atmosphere, guys, at the beginning, and I'm sure a lot of this bled through on TV, but the atmosphere at the beginning of the game, Crew fans were up for this. Like, they were going crazy in the first half, even before the goals. You know, a ref would, would signal his flag, such that it was clear that it was the crew's throw-in, and crew fans were going crazy. Every single thing that went right for them in this game, every throw-in, every 50-50, every you know, shot, whatever it was, all of that stuff they were going absolutely wild for, and that made the viewing experience, I think, very compelling in the stadium and then also you know, online as well. And then you toss in the fact, I, I don't know what exactly we're calling the now-attempted annual media game tradition that, that Tom put together, but I had the media game yesterday, and I'm only a little sore today, and I didn't totally embarrass myself, so I'm counting that as a win. Uh, it is. It has been a lovely week, and I, again, I've, I've really enjoyed the city of Columbus and getting to interact some with Columbus Crew fans on Historic Crew Stadium as well, right? Yeah, yeah, we played. So I, I'll try to communicate some of this in a Patreon video that's coming uh, for for our TSS Plus folks. But they basically have now this big artificial like blow up dome on top of the field at Historic Crew Stadium. All the stands are the same. Basically, the whole the whole stadium is is the same, really, except now it's turf. And they blow up this giant dome, and that's where Crew 2 play. They take the dome down, you know, during the actual season itself. But we were able to be on the field. So shout out to the crew's groundskeeping staff. Uh, they Not only do they do a great job with the field at Lower.com Field, but they also, you know, opened up the doors and let us play in the house that Frankie built. And it was it was truly wild. They had a little assist in there. Didn't play, you know, especially well or especially poorly. Just kind of, you know, right down the middle for me. <laughs> Uh, which is poor for you know a lot of other folks that were there, but got the assist on the field. That was that was a really cool experience. I I laugh a lot recently because I, you talk to people who work for the crew, and they're like, "We weren't sure this team would exist." Some teams in MLS don't own a stadium. We own two at this point because they kept Historic Crew Stadium. They built their new training facility alongside it, and then Lower Dot Com Field, of course, now is their home. You talked about the city a bit. Talk about the club. Talk about what you've learned and sort of taken in over the course of this week and today in the game of like what the crew have built and what this club is. Yeah, the biggest thing that stood out to me is how important it was for them to get Wilfred Nance. And, and maybe that's because he comes off incredibly well in interviews, which makes it pretty easy to sort of sway opinion, right? That's that's politics, that's media, that's all this stuff, right? Nancy comes off incredibly thoughtful and intelligent, which is exactly what you expect when you watch his team play. Like those are two attributes that you would 100% use to describe the players that he's putting out on the field in his system for the Columbus crew. You know, looking back at how much has changed for Columbus, there's been a lot of turmoil, right? Being out here, talking with some some folks from, from Columbus, getting to hear some more Caleb Porter stories than, than maybe what I had heard previously, but it all kind of lines up. 
the change from the Caleb Porter era, where, yes, they won an MLS Cup, right? You, it's not all bad. The change, though, from the Caleb Porter era, even in terms of the atmosphere around the club, to Wilfred Nance has been... It's honestly hard to overstate how big that shift has been. Nance, like I said, comes across really well, speaks really well, even in, in not his first language in English to, to us in the media. Like You can see his impact on basically every part of this club. And that's not to take away credit from the players who certainly deserve the most credit for winning them another trophy, their third MLS Cup. It's not to take away from Tim Bezmacheco, who had a giant bottle, to reiterate, a giant bottle of champagne, maybe the biggest I've ever seen, <laughs> in the locker room after the match. Everybody soaked. I've got beer on me now as well from being in the locker room after Columbus won this thing. Like, all of the pieces came together for Columbus, and it's hard for me not to think that given the pieces they already had, that Nancy wasn't sort of the finishing touch on what they've built. So what's going to be your biggest moment takeaway? Like, what's the thing from today or this week that will be what you connect 2023 MLS Cup with? I'm not around, like, beer and champagne-soaked individuals, like, <laughs> terribly often. Certainly not ones that are bumping music and going absolutely crazy wearing their champion jerseys. So it, it is always, whenever whenever this stuff happens, it's always the post-game locker room for the winning team, to be clear, that gets me. I saw some of the LAFC players after the game, and they're just, you know, changed and showered and yeah. eating and, and getting ready to fly back to L.A. The atmospheres could not be more different, but it's a locker room. Like, gosh, I'm, I'm sure you've been in those as well. The last... Shoot, I'm trying to remember last year. I honestly don't remember last year's locker room. Maybe they didn't let us in in LAFC. I don't think they did, or at least I didn't get in. And then 2021 was in Portland, and COVID protocols, as far as I can recall, were still in place. And so 2019 really is the last winning locker room that I remember being in. And this one, maybe it's just because it's fresh in my mind, is is pretty tough to top. You've been, you surely you've been in some of those locker rooms as well over time, yeah? Yeah, it's awesome. And the best part is... Normally, there's like the last few guys you're interviewing and someone comes out of the locker room and they're like, enough, because they're waiting for all the teammates to get yeah. in. So then yeah. everyone has to get in there. And it, depending on the stadium, they can be big or small. And like you're cramming a lot of people in there to celebrate. And sometimes you've got people slipping and hanging off lockers and trying to do whatever they're going to do. You get some wild moments. Um, I think I'm pretty sure a player from SKC got fired in the end after a uh, U.S. Open Cup celebration for them because of semantics in the locker room back in the day. So, like, it can get pretty ridiculous. But, yeah, when a home team wins, it's always special. And I think, like you said, I think for most people listening, like, it came through on TV. It felt special. It felt loud. And... I don't think it hurts when your team is dominant going downhill most of the first half. So, like you said, the crowd cheering everything positive, they had a lot to cheer for. And it just kept felt like it was building and building and building. And by the, by the time Yaya Boa's goal, goal went in, I started tweeting out about most dominant MLS Cup pro performances, which LAFC recovered a bit as it went along. I don't think it closed as one, but like... A lot of what the crew did over the first 45 minutes from atmosphere to play was something that we've never really seen before in a final. Yeah, let's talk more and more about this game. We'll get into actual on-field action, go through the lineups and early decisions and how the game actually played out. We'll get to the goals, all that good stuff coming up after a quick break. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, folks, welcome back. We are diving into the Columbus Crew's MLS Cup victory. David, let's talk about what happened on the field in this game. Different perspectives for both of us, starting with the lineups. I I tweeted something about this that came out. Pretty much no surprises here from either manager. Steve Torundolo doesn't change his 11. Will Fernandez doesn't change his 11. Julian Gressel stays on the bench. Christian Ramirez stays on the bench. Were you surprised at all with the lineups, or did you think, yeah, the, these coaches are pretty much just going to run it back? Wasn't surprised at all. It's been proven over the over, over this playoff run that both these coaches sort of trust what's working, have stuck with what's working, and uh, on the LAFC side, there weren't really decisions to make, as we talked about, I think. And on the crew side, it was the the fullback position. It was maybe or wingback position. It was maybe a little bit of a conversation around Christian Ramirez or not. But I think, of course, from winning, Wilfred Nance was justified. I think especially with Mo Farsi's performance as being out there to battle with Buanga. I thought he was as good as you can be going 1v1 against maybe the best player in the league and having all that responsibility, still trying to be in possession, still trying to get into the attacking half, clean on the ball so doesn't make mistakes a ton. Uh, And Matan brings that role into the attack that they want, which is the flexibility, the versatility, the ability to move all around. You know, in the conversations we've had over the course of the week, we haven't really said it, but normally when you have lineup conversations around MLS Cup, it's an injury. Right, Last year was Alejandro Bedoya. Could he get healthy? Could he get back? In the past, we've had big-time injuries to attacking players, Josie Altidore, Clint Dempsey, guys like that. And I think that's what was fun was we knew who would be in the team, and we knew how they'd play, and it was kind of strength on strength. And I thought that LAFC actually came out pretty well in the first 15 minutes as much as you could in Columbus against this team. I like your point there, Goss, about the injury stuff, right? This game, and, and really, it's not just the injuries and the fact that basically every player who we thought was going to be available was available. It's also tactically, there weren't real question marks around this game. Yeah, I, I guess we talked a bit about maybe Steve Trundle throws a wrench into things and really changes something and, and tries to get the crew off their perch early on. We didn't see that happen. And I don't think the players really expected anything different than what the general flow of the game was Early on, Giorgio Chiellini spoke to the media on Thursday. I was in the press conference there, and then he did another media availability after the match, uh, a slightly more somber one, but still, you know, cheerful and, you know, introspective as always. And Chiellini had this quote about what he was expecting from the game. He said, quote, it's not a difficult game to prepare for both teams, to be honest, but it's very difficult to play because at the end you have to face them, referring to the Columbus crew. Chiellini, you know, I think by that quote is talking about, well, like we know what we're going to do and we know what they're going to do. He spent, you know, 30 seconds before then complimenting the crew and their style and how it's not just style, but it's also effectiveness within that style. And then saying like, we know our strengths, we know our weaknesses, we know theirs. You know, it's, it's pretty clear, right? That's the paraphrase. Chiellini knew what this game was going to look like and, and basically everybody else did too. And there were no wrenches thrown, right? LAFC come out. They're in their 4-3-3 shape. We already mentioned the lineup has, has not changed for them. 
They're in that shape early on, the career in possession in their 3-4-3, and it all looks very much like we would expect. And I honestly, David, I agree with you in a lot of respects. LAFC didn't start super poorly. Yeah, they didn't have the ball. Columbus dominated. I think they had 68% of the ball in the first half. Like they had tons of possession, Columbus, but they weren't creating a ton of chances. You mentioned Matan, you know, Yeboa scored the, the second goal for the crew. Those players were getting touches in good spots, but they they weren't very clean. Yaboa had a bunch of turnovers early on. Matan made the wrong decision in the final third. The crew were attacking towards the part of the stadium that I was sitting in, basically, in the in the first half. So I got a great look at Matan and his movement and his decision-making. And frankly, I didn't think it was very good. LAFC were probably fine with how the first 15 minutes played out. The challenge, David, and I'm curious about your perspective on this, the challenge is that when you play Columbus and you say, okay, we're going to bend, right? And that's what LAFC did. They're going to bend. They did bend on the field early on, but they weren't trying to break. But the, the challenge when you play the crew is that bending basically always turns into breaking against Columbus. And to me, we sort of saw that happen in real time where LAFC's defensive block went from, okay, we're doing fine, we're taking some hits, but the armor's strong, to all of a sudden, oh, no, we're down 2-0. And, and it's the reality of if you defend so deep, every mistake becomes a fire drill. And the mistake was the penalty kick, of course. And, you know, that's a play where you're going in 50-50 challenge, arms in awkward position, but most of the time challenges like that occur further away from your goal. You talk about all the potential other penalties that were called. Aiden Morris going down. Yaya Boa looked like he was dragged down. Kevin Molino as well. All of that occurs around the box because for LAFC, that's where most of the game is played. And it gives you no room for error. It allows you to make no mistakes, whether it's communication, on the ball, anything like that. And so, like you said, for LAFC, it breaks down pretty quickly. Now, I thought they came out with a higher line of confrontation than I expected at times. I thought Vela worked pretty hard to close things down and sort of force the ball where they wanted to. But there was no threatening moment that forced any Columbus player to just take a half step back, right? If Buanga breaks through the lines once in the first 15 minutes on a through ball or in possession, now all of a sudden Farsi's takes two yards a, a little bit deeper because he doesn't want to get caught, right? Marrera's maybe a little more hesitant to step forward, Aiden Morris, all those things like that. That moment never came for LAFC. I think there's a few reasons why that we can talk about. And that, I think, didn't allow them to ever put any fear in Columbus to throw Columbus off their game. There are a number of missteps in this one from LAFC and a, a lot of things that Columbus did very well. Steve Terundolo said after the game in his press conference I sat in on, basically, you know, they, they put us in positions to make mistakes, even though he kind of covered his tracks and said, you know, those are mistakes we don't usually make. I think for LAFC, there were some uncharacteristic errors in this match. You know, they did some good things, and in general, I thought the approach was was tactically solid for a lot of this game. But Dennis Buonga wasn't super sharp up until his goal. You know, Oliveira wasn't super involved. I thought the fullbacks were really sloppy in possession, both Palacios and Hollingshead. You can apply that to a lot of different LAFC players. I thought they struggled in a lot of ways. And I did think as well, we talked about LAFC being mostly okay with what happens early on in this game, bending but not breaking. I think one of the things that led to LAFC breaking was something of an uncharacteristic mistake. And it's hard for me to tell if this is coming from Steve Torundolo or if it's coming from the players. Steve Torundolo basically didn't take any blame. And I'm not I'm not totally sure he should have after the game. But he, he pretty much just said, you know, our, our performances weren't good enough tonight. One thing that I thought was off for LAFC was how gappy their press was, right? I don't know how this came across on the, on the broadcast camera, 
But you watch LAFC, especially in the build-up to the first goal, right? If we want to move to the first goal of this game, LAFC aren't pressing all out, but they're they're defending and they're in their defensive shape. And there is just acres of space behind LAFC's line for Columbus to come in and just one-two their way down the field. And that's exactly what happens. It's the crew in possession. LAFC try to step forward a little bit. A gap between their lines opens up. Columbus play through it. And, and it's not just like a little gap. It's a big gap. And it's a one-two from Morris to Nagby. And then from Morris to Matan. Then Morris plays Yeboah through. Then Yeboah crosses it in. Rossi gets a touch to it. And then eventually it hits Palacios' outstretched arm. And I, I think that's a pretty clear handball. Maybe some folks out there disagree, but I haven't seen much of that. I honestly couldn't believe how gappy the press was in that moment from LAFC. And when you're playing Columbus, you cannot, you absolutely cannot, Goss, afford to give them that big of a gap in your defensive shape. No, and that's where I liked the line of confrontation, but it didn't feel, like you said, like the whole team was on board with what they were doing. It felt like Carlos Vela had some triggers that he was trying to take advantage of. And as you said, there wasn't the follow-up. And there should be, because through midfield... You have the numbers, right? It's three against two in central midfield for LAFC. You have to find those numbers. Now, I think one of the things the crew did well, and I don't know how purposeful this was or just the way the game played out, is I thought Cucho sort of sat in an area around Palacios, Acosta, and Chiellini because of how big a threat he was at many times, including both the goals, away from the ball, that I thought his gravity held a lot of those players. And you see it on the Yaboa goal of Palacios and Chiellini are the ones that keep Yaboa on, but it's across the field. And it's just the reality of Cucho sitting in that pocket in that channel held so much attention that it opened up space for the other players. And I think it made Palacios uncomfortable of when to step out and when to stay in. And LAFC didn't have a moment where Chiellini really had to defend in the channel, but I think they were so focused on avoiding that that it opened up space for the crew and they were able to take advantage. And as you said, LAFC wasn't as cohesive as they want to be. Also, this was oddly one of the worst games I've seen Ryan Hollingshead play. And I think part of that is the pressure the crew puts you on and the reality of like, Yabo is a natural winger, but you're also dealing with Rossi and Matan and Morris. But we saw him lose 1v1 tackles. We saw him sort of try and shield balls that weren't going to be his to give up throw-ins and corners. Just odd moments that we haven't seen from him. I think it's an example of the pressure Columbus puts you on that a veteran like that who's been in these moments, who's been phenomenal over the last two years in the biggest games, struggled. But I think those are the small things for LAFC, which they couldn't afford any of it. Like They couldn't go into this game and not be at 100% and you have these little moments of whether it's individual or like you talked about as a team where they lost the plot or they made mistakes that they don't expect to miss to make and Columbus is good enough unlike Houston in the last game to take advantage yeah I had a conversation with someone during during this game basically like yeah LAFC are not defending as well in this game as they did against Houston and there are a few different reasons for that right defensively I thought they were much more compact against Houston in the Western Conference final but then it's also Columbus's ability to punish you. And, and the crew absolutely did that. Another Chiellini quote uh, after, after the game, he said, I think the mistakes we did was when we were spread out too much. We had to close that channel. They love to break through the middle, basically is what, what he's talking about. And then they gave up too much space. They were, they were way too spread out, LAFC. And you see that in the first goal. And you see that a few other sequences and a few other sequences in this first half. Columbus are just so dangerous. And Cucho's positioning, gosh, I love that you brought that up. He was he was so good in this game. Not perfect, but so, 
so good. The first minute, he sets the tone winning a foul from a Rio. The sixth minute, he's kind of rotating around the field. You know, has a couple of bad passes, but with his back to goal, Goss is just so incredibly sharp. He's the one who scores the penalty for Columbus to get them on the board early. He is unbelievably good. It's going to be extremely difficult for Columbus to keep hold of him. The good news in a, in a weird way is that they spent a lot of money on him. So if somebody's going to come in, it's got to be for a lot of money. And those teams do exist who are smart enough to spend it. But, you know, they're not everywhere on the planet. Can I throw this? Uh, MLS tweeted this out. Cucho um, in this game scoring became the third player in MLS history to score or assist in each of his first six career postseason games. So like that's who he's been for them. And, and you talked about a lot of what he did. It wasn't a ton on the ball. I would argue his performance was somewhat similar to Buanga's. I think it's credit that he understood what was needed in this game, that he didn't go and force himself on the ball. I think it's also credit to Rossi. And I thought Rossi was really messy in the first 15 minutes. I was a little worried that the game was too much for him. But his speed, his athleticism is game-changing. And him and Matan started to find the gaps that were open because Cucho had the attention that he had. Very much so. Cucho is that kind of player where he can create on the ball, but he can also open up space with his gravity, right? He has the ability to strike fear in the hearts of opposing defenders, and that helps players like Diego Rossi and Matan, and even in Aiden Morris coming forward out of midfield, which we saw a number of times in this game. So much good stuff from him, and, and he will be the cornerstone of this team next season. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Let's do the second goal. We talked to the first one a little bit. Those one-twos through midfield ends up in a handball. Columbus score the penalty. A little bit of an underwhelming way to get the opening goal. Uh, but Goss, the second goal was underwhelming in exactly zero ways. <laughs> this goal is one of the best I've ever seen because the assist from Mate Amundsen is unbelievable. If you're listening to this episode, you've probably already seen it because you probably watched the game or at least kind of have a grasp of what happened. If you have not seen it, pause this right now. Like throw your phone in the garbage, go to watch it, go get your computer, pull up the game, pull up a clip, do something, go watch this ball. David, I cannot believe how good this left-footed ball from Amundsen, left-sided center back, it is the most delicious through ball I have seen in a long time, plays an inch-perfect ball into Yao Yaboa's path. Yaboa scores 2-0. Genuinely, Goss, I, I, I could not believe what I saw here in Columbus. It was an 11-pass sequence, I think, from right to left, and then Amundsen hits that ball. He hits it slightly outside of the foot. It's enough of a curve away from goal that it forces Crepo to hesitate. He's not sure if he should come off his line, where normally you hit that inside of the foot into the run of Yaboa, goalkeeper's off their line. It's a 50-50 challenge at best. It's probably goalkeeper picking it up at worst. And then it has that little bit of texture as it spins away to keep it away from the goalie, but the perfect pace that Yaboa doesn't have to break his stride. It is a perfect ball. It is the essence of Columbus, which is, you cannot let anyone pick their head up on this roster. Every single player from goalkeeper all the way through can hit that killer pass. And so as they work through LAFC's lines, they did something that they didn't do a ton in the first half, which was play short, short, long, right? They got LAFC to cramp at times, but they didn't break out quick enough to be able to find the openings on the other side. This time they pull LAFC to Columbus's right side. They're able to play a little bit through midfield to keep all the numbers in front. That gives space and time for Odmanson to pick his head up. And then Yaboa is stretching the field. He makes the run behind Hollingshead so he can't see him. Like I talked about, 
Diego Palacios and Giorgio Chiellini on the other side of the field are the ones that keep him on side because they're still still dealing with Cucho and what he can do to them and Farsi, who's high up the field. And then Yaboa, who I think at many times has been the weakest player on the field for Columbus. And when you ask in a vacuum, Agreed. how can this Agreed. team upgrade going forward, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, they'll have a legitimate left wing back who can really change the game. But he's out there to score, right? He's out there to be an attacking player. He was brought in as a winger, doesn't panic in the moment, holds his, his medal 1v1 against the keeper. I think it's outside of the foot finish as well, just to simplify things and not worry about missing it to that far post. And it is right now in my head maybe outside of Gareth Bale in the last minute, the best goal I've seen in MLS Cup. And it's the Columbus goal, right? And obviously it is because the Columbus crew scored it, but it is like the Wilfred Nance Columbus crew goal, right? They work the ball. You mentioned it, 11 pass sequence. It is so clean in possession. They're so calm. They're so comfortable. And it's a center back on, on the ball, playing it through behind the back line as an assist, right? The amount of times that this crew team funnels their attacks, not just through Cucho, not just through Rossi or Matan or the midfielders, but through the center backs and involves those players in the possession, it's off the charts, right? They do that more than any team in Major League Soccer. They get on the ball more than anybody in MLS. They create more chances than anybody in MLS. They will break you if you bend enough. And that is exactly what happened in this moment the crew are so filthy good in possession that it is so difficult to defend against them for you know, not even 90 minutes, right? These goals come in quick succession in yeah. the 30s of this game. The, the LFC couldn't even get to halftime while keeping any semblance of defensive compactness. It, it absolutely was the Columbus crew goal. It was the Wilford Nance goal. One quote from Nance that I, I got from the, the post-match presser that he did that really stood out to me. Uh, he said, quote, the most important for me was not to win. It was to be ourselves, and my players did it. That's why we had the possibility, and that's why we won, right? That's Nance saying, okay, I want to come out there, and I want to play our way, and we believe that our way is the best way to play with this group of players to help us win games. Like, that calculus from Nance is so clear from how he plays, from how he conducts himself, from the, the words that he spits in a press conference, all this stuff. Like, that all was embodied on the goal. It was embodied in other moments, too. But that second goal, most of all in this game, is like the Columbus crew moment. When we all remember a moment from this season, from the crew, there's plenty of good ones, there's plenty of bad ones too, right? They were not a perfect team in the regular season. But for me at least, it will be that goal because of how perfectly it aligns with what the crew want to do. This was a team that was down 2-0 at the Supporters' Shield, their rival, on the road in front of that atmosphere and did not change the way they played the sport. They did not change. They didn't panic. They didn't rush. They didn't push. And you see it here again. And that's what you're talking about. And that's the essence of this is they can deal with the highs and lows because they always know who they are and they always know what they want to do. Now, I would have loved to see them close it out a little bit more cleanly in the way that they play. But that second goal to score that opening goal at home and deal with the pressure, right? To play the soccer they played under the, the microscope of a final, which isn't a guarantee. Teams like this do not always play that soccer in big moments because you panic, because you change. You don't want to take risks. You don't want to be caught out. You don't want to be the one that makes a mistake. And Columbus didn't do that. Then they get the goal and you're thinking, okay, maybe there'll be a little bit of a let off here. And they don't. They put the, the pedal down. 
they're able to get that second goal. And the second goal was massive because they're not going to shut out LAFC. That's just a reality. And what we've seen over the course of this postseason is they are as potent as they were in the regular season, but there are moments where they don't have the finish alongside it. So to score the second goal, to do it in the run of play right after the penalty, to keep the crowd on your side, they were able to get to halftime at 0-0. I think that was the deciding moment of the match, that this was a crew team that was going to sort of have that killer moment and that killer touch in this game. Altogether, that first half is one of the great 45 minutes in MLS Cup performance history. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It was electric from the crew. And, and one nugget before we get to our second break and come back and, and finish the rest of this game and talk about what it means and all that stuff. I think Wilfer Nance is proud of this. He didn't get asked about it, but I think he's proud of the fact that when LA, when Columbus, excuse me, do concede, they also concede playing his way. They concede trying to build. They concede while LAFC are pressing and having to turn up the intensity. They don't concede while defending or sitting off in their block. They concede like from a moment where they lose the ball doing exactly what they believe is the right thing to do in that situation. We'll talk more about that goal. We'll talk about LAFC and a little bit of the momentum that they built in the second half and plenty more about Columbus coming up after the break. Stay with us. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. All right, folks, we are back. Let's dig into the second half a little bit more of MLS Cup. The Columbus Crew 2-1 winners over LAFC. LAFC came out and they needed to get more of the ball in the second half because they needed chances and they had more of the ball. You know, they went from 68% possession for the crew in the first half to much, much less in the second 45 minutes. LAFC had 47% after 32% in the first half. It felt to me, Goss, like it was only a matter of time, almost in the same way where, you know, Columbus, they'll break you over time. LAFC with their attacking quality against a team that doesn't love to defend and had to do more defending in the second 45 that felt like we were going to get a goal. Now, I didn't know if it was going to come exactly how it did after Dennis Buonga had been so quiet for the first 45 minutes, but ultimately it is their best player who gets them on the score sheet. You know, he's inevitable, like you talked about, and it's not the cleanest goal. It's not maybe exactly how you'd expect, but credit to Jesus Murillo because Columbus actually came out and pure and poured pressure on in that opening 10 minutes of the second half. It should have been 4-0. It definitely should have been 3-0. There's two balls that get played past Crepo at the near post. Mario's there to recover on both of them. And then Cucho gets to the end line to play uh, Rossi in for a tap-in. And Mario reads it and closes it down right there and forces out for a corner kick. So Mario kept this team alive. And then he's the one that steps forward and wins the ball and creates the goal. And this is a center back. This is not really a role that he has played. And he's not normally this involved in the attack, especially in possession in the run of play, but he handles it perfectly. And he was trying to spur this team on. He was the one trying to push things. I think part of that was role. Like I talked about Chiellini was sort of staying home and trying to track Cucho most of the time. And so Mario was the one who kind of had to go out and hunt a little bit, but credit to him for creating the goal, creating the moment, causing chaos in the box, and if you do that with players of the quality like Buanga, he's going to get his opportunity. And uh, Schulte said post game, he wished he could have done a little bit more to keep it out. Not much more, I'm sure he could have done. And Buanga, he ties the record for most goals in all competitions in an MLS season with this goal. And like, it's not a perfect one, but that's a tight angle to put that one away. And a game like this is not easy to do. And so LAFC get there, but 
I looked at some of the stats. Joe, Vela did not complete a single pass to Buanga. This is a guy who physically can't go out and open up the game anymore. He's on the field to be a connector, and he does not connect a single time with the best attacking player on your team. It's credit to Columbus, who had numbers around Buanga all the time. Farsi, Morera, Morris, Nagby, all of them helped at times to close him down. They were always bumping him when he was in possession. But it goes to show you a little bit of how lost LAFC has gotten in their attack over this playoff run. Yeah, it, it does. And I, I think some blame belongs to Carlos Vela in uh, there 100%. playing as a number nine in this game. But I think most of the blame, Goss, and you, you said it, right? goes to LAFC's inability to deal with Columbus and, and their ability, their inability really to respond to what the crew do, which is apply pressure on you and not give you a second to breathe. You know, Columbus are not this Red Bull high pressing team, but essentially they, they get to the same thing because they're always around the ball. And that's what the Red Bulls want to do. They always want to be around the ball. Columbus are always around the ball and they were always around Dennis Bowanga in this game basically outside of that goal. And even then they were on the ball because Schulte stops the ball with his face, right? And has a huge save there before Buanga taps it into the back of the net on the far side. So they were always around Dennis Buanga in this game and he had so little joy prior to that goal. And I want to give credit, extra credit to Farsi, to Marrera, to every single player for the Columbus crew for their ability to pressure and either deny Buanga the ball in the first place so he wasn't even getting touches or to deny Boanga any real advancement on the ball when he did have possession. He was he was shifting across, Goss, and I'm sure you saw this. He starts on the left because that's where he plays for LAFC. Then we saw him a few minutes into the game popping up in the middle, and that, to me, felt like just a natural kind of LAFC rotation. Steve Trundolo likes that fluid forward line. He likes that his players can interchange. And then after Columbus take a 2-0 lead... LAC suddenly have Buanga popping up on the right side, and that felt much less like a, oh, you know, Buanga's just wandering, and more of a, we literally cannot get Buanga into dangerous situations. We have to try something different because we are at risk of going 3-0 down and not creating any meaningful shots over the course of 90 minutes, so we have to do anything different than what we've been doing, and ultimately, none of it mattered, right? Buanga was good in that one moment. He scores the goal. LAFC had a few other bright moments in the second 45 minutes, but it just straight up didn't matter. The crew were everywhere, it seemed like, in this game. And yeah, the game was a little closer than they would want after uh, you know after LAFC get one back. But man, the performances of the individual Columbus players really stood out. And one, Gossana, I'm sure you were going to get me there if I didn't take us there. So I'm just going to straight up do it now. One player that I have to give credit yes. to is Aiden Morris. I walked by Aiden Morris on the street yesterday in Columbus. He was inside uh, eating eating dinner with uh, presumably his family. I don't know who it was. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't like knocking at the glass outside as I was walking along the road. But I saw Aiden Morris fueling up the night before dinner around 8 p.m. Good for him, right? Get, get your load. food, hang out with family. Got to do what you got to do. Um, and he comes out tonight and is absolutely unbelievable. This was like along with MLS Cup 2020, guys. <laughs> Easily the best game that I've ever seen him play. I don't understand where he pulls these matches out from because he was electric. He was decent on the ball tonight. You know, good on the ball. Decent's not decent's not strong enough. He was good on the ball and he was unbelievable defensively. Like he he played to the extremes of himself. He was fantastic. If we get this Aiden Morris every game, I'll eat every possible piece of crow that's on planet Earth and just accept that he is the greatest American soccer player on the planet. Gosh, he was so good. 
He's a big game player. That's what he does. That's what this is what Aiden lives for. He only waits for the big game so that he can get involved. He doesn't really he doesn't want to put too much into the regular season because it's a waste of time and a waste of energy for him. <laughs> so respect to Aiden Morris for knowing how to handle it. Also respect to Darlington Nagby. I think he completed 52 of 54 passes in this game. He's getting his flowers right now. He deserves it. I think some of it some of it's a bit little intense, but I, I'm fine with everyone being happy and celebrating all at the same time. And obviously he understands what it means to win in this league and how to do it. He's a linchpin for a lot of teams uh, and now four MLS Cups with three different clubs, two for Columbus here, back in his native Ohio where he's kind of always wanted to be, uh, where he won a college championship with Akron and where he grew up. And so it was a special moment for him. Um, it goes to show you this Columbus team, they used all five subs and there's trust for players that you wouldn't maybe expect there to be when Nagby and Cucho couldn't continue through the 90 minutes. And I, I think Columbus could have played some of this game out with the ball a little bit more. They weren't able Agreed. to do that, but they won MLS Cup. They won playing their style. They won playing soccer that a lot of people didn't think could win in an MLS postseason, including coming out of 2019 when LAFC were incapable of getting it done against Seattle in the Western Conference Finals with the style that Bob Bradley had put in. But Columbus was committed to it. And there's a lot of people who are going to be celebrating, who will be celebrated, that deserve it from the top down uh, in Columbus. But I think you started with Wilfred Nance at the beginning. And I think for me, it ends there as well of going and getting a coach. Like that was the big offseason acquisition for Columbus, for Nance, who came up through the ranks through Quebec, played U-sport soccer in Canada, academy coach, all the way through to first team coach. And this is what every coach works for. Like you go and talk to coaches around the league. They want to win MLS Cup. That's the role. That's the job. And he couldn't get it done last year with Montreal, but he comes down, he gets Cucho, he gets Diego Rossi, he gets Nagby, he gets great players that Montreal probably wasn't capable of putting on the field for him. And he made it work and he used those tools. The leading goal scoring team in the league. I think with the goal tonight, they tied for most goals ever scored over the course of a full MLS season, all competitions, and they got to celebrate a win in front of their fans. Shout out to the three-game round one, baby. Shout out to the three-game round one. That's <laughs> all it takes. Atlanta. Give an extra game. Let's. Get, yeah, I'm playing Atlanta to open up the game. Uh, yeah, little, little caveats on some of that. So, But it, it, it's true, right? You see that with Columbus. I was also thinking the same on the Bowonga stat you had earlier. You know, it's nice that LFC have 8,000 games that they can play now because there are 8,000 competitions. No, 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 no. It's so not all nice. That, all Steve Trondolo said well. it was bad. It's bad to play more games. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Let's. I'll edit that out after. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll cut all that stuff. No, I, I think your. I think your points about Nance and, and the crew in general are are spot on and well taken. Right. I think generally we overrate the impact that managers have on games. Right. They're not playing chess. Their players are not chess pieces. That's not how this sport works. Managers are important and they they have a role to play. But generally speaking, I think we inflate their actual impact on matches. I think the same is probably true of Wilfred Nance, but there's a reason why, Goss, when you asked me about the club in the first segment, that's where my mind went. There's a reason why it sort of makes sense to tie a little bit of a bow on the crew with Nance. He is, he is the one that sets this team up. He is the one 
that has taken Steven Marrera, who was a bad right back last year for Caleb Porter in Major League Soccer, who's taken Monte Amundsen, who was a fine left back for NYCFC and was sort of out of favor earlier this year. He's the one who's taken Yaya Boa, who was a bad winger last year for Caleb Porter, and it still blows my mind that Columbus brought him in to play as a left winger in a 4-2-3-1 because he's not very good in the attack. And yes, I know he scored a goal tonight, but that is still absolutely the correct take. He's the one that rejuvenated Alex Matan's career. Like He's the one that found a role for Cucho. You can run through the list and basically something for every single player in this crew squad. Like It's really, really hard for me to believe that the crew would have won a trophy without Will Finance doing all of those things and giving them foundation this year. But here's the thing, and I think you're right in what you were saying, that sometimes we overcalculate how coaches can impact games, how managers can impact teams. But so often when we talk about managers, we talk about their strengths, and they are on one side – and their weaknesses are arguably as strong on the other side. And that's where Nance, and I think you saw it today and you heard it over the course of this week, is different in that it's tactics and emotion. He does not think the game is all tactics. He does not think his only role on the team is setting them up tactically. You hear people comparing him today to Ted Lasso. I think Ben Wright was the one who tweeted that out when – when Nancy said after the game to, I don't know if it's Jenny Taft or Katie with him, like, I didn't care if we win. I wanted us to play our game, to be who we were. I wanted us to represent ourselves. That's what makes Nancy so special is his ability to motivate his players to create the emotion and culture that need, that you need around a team to win and to have the tactical soccer ideas of how to set a team up. And that's what we saw today was the best all-around coach in the league with some really great pieces. Like, again, we cannot overstate Diego Rossi, a former Golden Boot winner in this league. Cucho Hernandez is arguably one of the biggest signings in Major League Soccer. Well, inarguably one of the biggest, arguably the biggest. Messi's going to be a weird thing that we're just kind of always going to have to caveat for the rest of time. But like <laughs> a 23-year-old Premier League Colombian international striker that came to this team. Nagby had already Careful. won three MLS Cups before you had Nance come to this team. There is talent here. It, it, this is not like this is not the Colorado Rapids, and there is not a, a potion that was created. But I just think you saw over the course of this week Nancy's ability to motivate his players, to affect his players, and to create a culture that you can go out and play at your best. If that was a shot at the Rapids way that you just tossed in there at the end, I will, I will absolutely not be standing for that, first of all. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I do agree with the rest of it. Wilfred Nancy, huge addition to this club. There is no doubt about that whatsoever. He does not win this trophy without Cucho. He does not win this trophy probably without Diego Rossi or Nagby or some of these other pieces as well. So all of this comes together for Columbus to equal a, a very much worthy winner of MLS Cup. Gus, looking forward very briefly before we call it quits on this episode, Wilfred Nancy afterwards in his press conference was asked about, well, you know, you've won this trophy. Does that put an expectation on you to do it again next year? And I thought he handled that question very well in saying basically, you know, I don't know if we're going to win again next year. That is fair. He does not. We do not. But I do know that we're going to compete. Right. And I think you can read into that in multiple different ways. First, that you know, Columbus have now a mentality where they'll come out and compete every game, regardless of the situation, even in some of the regular season games that don't seem to matter as much. They're building towards something every game and every season. The other part, though, is that they are good enough to compete for a trophy. 
right? This team may not enter 2024 as trophy favorites. It's probably going to be Miami for the odds makers, or maybe it's going to be LA or who knows, right? Maybe it's Cincinnati, but they are in that group, right? In my mind, they're absolutely in the top tier of MLS teams right now. They were excellent in the regular season. They were very, very good to close out the year. They've been strong in the playoffs. They have a trophy to show for it. It would not surprise me one bit if we were back here again in a year and talking about the Columbus crew winning this whole thing again. It probably won't happen, but it is 100% in the realm of possibility. I absolutely agree with you. This is not a team that you look at and say, okay, they were able to get over the line, last gasp, and now this roster is going to change a ton. Most of these pieces should be back, right? Diego Rossi was just signed. Schulte's a young player, brought up. Uh, Mo Farsi, the same thing. Aiden Morris, I don't think that sale will happen if it does happen soon. Nagby just signed a long-term extension. So it feels like most of these pieces will be back. What I'm really excited about is CONCACAF Champions Cup with them because they're going to play the way they're going to play. We haven't seen a lot of MLS teams play like this against some of the biggest teams in the region, mainly Liga MX teams. And I know Tim Bezbachenko with his history, what he did with Toronto and the people under him in the front office who have that background, they want to win that. So I think this is a team that's going to lean in pretty hard early season to try and win a CONCACAF trophy or regional championship. And then we'll see how the season goes up and down from there. But this should be a strong team. That should be the expectation. I think the biggest fear for a lot of people is what Nancé and Cucho's future looks like. I just have the feeling that it has been too short for them to already be ready to leave. And I think it's been so fun and enjoyable that I'd be surprised if they did. But that's something that Columbus of all clubs is going to have contingencies for. Yeah, it is a question mark for them in their future. You know, maybe some of these pieces go and maybe they don't. It's hard to say what's going to happen with Columbus on that front. Uh, when you mentioned Columbus in what is now the CCC, not the CCL. The it's 47 cup, now not league. CCC. It's, it's a big it's a big boy. Um, that being said, cup is obviously a better name for it than league. And every cup should be called a cup. Like it's not the Champions League. That's not a league. Right. Even with the new form. Anyway, irrelevant. With the new format and with the new um, with the new tournament coming next year, I thought you were going to say, I want to see the crew play against that giant tree, whereas at the Dominican Republic that we saw Austin against Violette earlier this year. I want to see the crew play on that field. Yeah. We've seen them play Club America. We've seen them play Liga Mekis teams before. Let them take on the most impressive atmospheres in this region. That's what I want to see next season. I agree with you. If you can't do it in a hot day in front of an empty crowd in a metal drum in Dominican Republic, then you can't really do it at all. Agreed. You know, you just got to give up, do something else with your life, go sell cars, do something else. Scott, anything else on Columbus, LAFC, anything MLS related after the ba- after the last game of the year before we call it quits? Yeah, if you watch this game and you're not a Columbus fan, you should demand from your club that this is what you get. This is Major League Soccer. There's a salary cap. Every team lives in the same region. And for this team in Columbus to go through the postseason and play the soccer that they did, it's about intent and it's about motivation. And if every team doesn't play that way, every game going forward, if teams around Major League Soccer don't look at this and say, where can we find the next Wilfred Nance? How can we develop the next one? How can we play like Columbus? How can we get to that level? Then they're all failing. And as a fan, you should say that and you should have expectations that this is what you get from your team. Retweet. 
all of that, David Goss, that is words of wisdom from you to the other fan bases in Major League Soccer. Congratulations to the crew. Congratulations as well to LAFC, who had a very, very good year. Lots of talent. We'll be back again, I would imagine, competing for trophies in 2024. But and this one is all for the Columbus crew. Go ahead. And congratulations to you because you did pick the crew. You did get the extra point or three oh. points or six point, whatever wow. it was. Yeah, and most of the other points as well. Yeah, well, whoever picks first has the better opportunity, so relax. (laughs) It is is true, um, but Goss, next year is going to be, the impetus is going to be on you uh, because fans of David Goss FC are not willing to put up with mediocrity. Yes, it's a salary cap league, but we look at the Columbus (laughs) crew, we look at what Joe Lowry FC has done, and we believe, you know what, this is what we can shoot for. So, um, Goss, my parting message to you, in addition to thanking you for joining me, is to say, Aim higher next year, my friend. Aim higher. Hashtag save the crew. Thank you. (laughs) Listeners, thank you so much for listening, for uh, listening and engaging with our MLS coverage throughout the year. We'll have plenty more coming over the offseason and plenty more shows coming in your feed throughout the week. For now, I'm Joe Lowry for David Goss. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon.